Father in heaven, we are uh, before you at such an early hour. For some, this is not an early hour, and for some, this is a very early hour. Uh, But Father, we want to calibrate our minds and our hearts towards you, towards spiritual things, towards heaven. And that, Lord, we can't, we can't do by ourselves. We cannot do by our works. We cannot do by our human effort. We need your Holy Spirit to do that. So, Father, we ask for grace to cover, to pardon, to forgive. And, Lord, we ask for grace to empower, to change, and to sanctify. Bless the speaker. Bless those uh, who are in, in hearing of this message. Bless the recordings, the technology. We pray that you be glorified in the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 2012, March 9, researchers from the University of Glasgow observed four groups of solar flare loops that contracted rapidly during a flare. The loops had a staggered start to their collapse, showing delays of 60 to 80 seconds from the inner to the outer loops. This event, which was recorded on video, by the way, is a great example of, quote, simultaneous implosion and explosion. Energy is transferred from the magnetic field to power the flare, leaving a pocket of reduced magnetic support that causes an implosion. The staggering between the loop contractions is caused by the time delay needed for the information about the loss of support to travel outwards. The loop contractions are triggered at the same time as the flare begins, emitting intense X-rays and microwaves. Three outer loops show clear oscillations even as they contract with distinct periods and phases. After being compressed by the collapsing loops, the flaring loops oscillate until they find a new equilibrium, as indicated by the X-ray emission from the hot plasma. During the contraction, a wave blast revealed by the extreme ultraviolet radiation spreads away from the source of the flare. I do not understand anything I just read. All I know is that they recorded something bright in the sky. But it was a phenomenon where as something was was exploding, it was also imploding simultaneously. Recorded on video. This was found on the surface of the sun. And as the word says, implosion, something going in, explosion, something going out is happening at the same time. And you don't find this phenomenon commonly throughout nature. The greatest simultaneous explosion, implosion in the universe, I submit to you this morning, is found not on the surface of the sun, but in Psalms chapter 85. So if you have your Bibles, not if, not if, this is GYC, amen? Amen. You should have your Bibles. uh, If it's in print, better. If it's in digital, that's okay. Go to Psalms 85. And please hurry up. You are making the sermon way too long for some people. Okay, that was just the introduction, you understand. Psalms 85, if you're there, please say amen. If you're still looking for it, hurry up. Okay. Psalms, 85 Psalms is the, is the largest book in the Bible. It should be easy to find. Amen? Chapter 85 is, is self-evident. It should be after 84, if you're from some civilization with numerical digits. Amen? You're still looking. Some of you are still looking. Hurry up. Hurry up. Quickly, 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 quickly. 
Psalms 85, verse 1, the Bible says, the Bible says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of thy people. You have covered all their sins, Selah. Thou hast taken away all their wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Verse 4. Now, chapters one, uh, verses 1 through 3 is on the past tense. Now we see a transition into the present tense, and it is now a prayer request. Verse 4. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Verse 5. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Verse 7, show us thy mercy, O Lord. Grant us thy salvation. One key to Bible study is to look for words or for meanings of repetition in a particular passage. You can do that, and these words are not the words of and and the and thy, but conceptual words. And the, the word that's, that's repeated here, the word that is repeated here in this passage in verse 3, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6, should we get another mic? This is going in and out. Do I just go backstage and get one? Yeah. Yep. Testing. Verse 3, 4, 5, 6. Amen? Amen. Not testing 1, 2, 3, but verse 3, 4, 5, 6. Yes, very good, very good. Verse 3, the Bible says, Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thine anger. Verse 4, you cause thy anger. Verse 5, will you be angry? Verse 5, will you draw out thy anger? What is the, the phrase or the concept that's being repeated over and over again? It is this concept of anger. This passage is talking about the anger of God, the wrath of God. And before you freak out, before you freak out, these are verses, and this is a concept that many people don't like to talk about, and you don't hear this kind of preaching anymore. Or if you hear this kind of preaching, it's kind of in this weird Baptist sense that God is holding us above the hellfire, and that it is his mercy that somebody's angry with us. Anger, in this sense, is not human anger. Amen? Now, some of you, you know that intellectually, but we need to understand that when God is talking about anger, this is divine anger. This is pure anger. There is no illustration here on earth that is commensurate with the anger of God. This is not your father's anger. Amen. Some of you are from, from immigrant cultures. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your fathers do things that are illegal in North America, yes? This is not divine anger. Amen. Some of us, we have this concept of, of anger that we get from our parents. This is not divine anger. Divine anger is a divine property of God, if you will. And I don't like to say that in that sense. It makes it sound like we're studying an object and this is the property. But it is an attribute. It is a characteristic of God. Some of you have had bad experiences with people, bad experiences with anger. Maybe you have an anger problem yourself. That is not the anger of God. Can someone say amen? This word anger or word for wrath 
another word for it, it another word for it is justice. It's what, everyone? And so every time you see the wrath of God, the anger of God, you can take that word out and replace it with justice or just or righteousness. The wrath of God is better than the kindness of men. But do not be mistaken. The wrath of God will be far worse than any human metaphor. The wrath of God is perfect. It is never cruel. But once the results are enacted, they are for certain. The wrath of God is not something to freak out over, but it is something to be aware of at all times. In Romans chapters 1 through 3, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to, I'm going to summarize. The whole point of what Paul is trying to say is that God is angry. There is something called the wrath of God. There is something called justice. It is on the same, it is two sides of the same coin. Love and justice. Love and wrath. If God were just merely a God of love only, in that sense, without justice, without wrath, and he's just love, 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 that would make him, that would see, he would cease to be a God of love. For example, I love my sons. Amen? I love them. Amen? I love them. You need a lot of love in this room, man. You're just like, what is this concept of love? I don't understand. That's the facial expression that you're giving off. Okay. How you look is how you are. I love my sons. Amen. And I love them a lot. I mean, they're really cute. Now, they can get really annoying, and there are times where I do not manifest the love of God to them, and, and I have human wrath as well. I, I, I have to admit that. Now, my love towards them is commensurate towards my hatred towards anyone or anything that harms them. Do you understand? If some individual comes to, especially my second son, he's a lot cuter because he's younger, okay, not because he's cuter. It's just the younger ones are, so we have this debate in our, in our family about who's cuter, and one son always loses, and the other son wins because he's younger. Now, if any person were to come to this son and do, you know, fill in the blank, whatever, and I want to get go there. And if I were a father of love, oh, I love you, I love you, and the violin, I love you too, we're all, would I be a father of love? No. My love towards the son is commensurate to the wrath and the hatred I have towards the violator. Does it make sense? And so this entire salvation, this entire spirit, this whole salvation thing, it's the revelation of how much God hates the violator, the violation. In Romans chapters 1 through 3, the wrath of God is revealed. And he's saying this, that if God loves humanity, he also hates that which violates humanity. In Romans chapter 1, he's saying, all Gentiles, you are sinners. Gentiles do all sorts of foolishness, and you are, you receive, you should receive the wrath of God. In chapter 2, Romans, uh, uh, Jews, before you point the finger, don't, don't be too fast to do that, because you yourselves are sinners as well. Yes? 
If, if Paul were writing today, he would say, chapter 1, all non-Seventh-day Adventists are sinners. But chapter 2, Adventists, by the way, you're sinners too. Chapter 3, his conclusion is we are all sinners. And because we are sinners, we deserve death. Verse 1, Romans chapter 3, verse 1, what advantage has the Jew? And his whole point is that the Jew really doesn't have a salvific advantage. They're merely the, the holders of the oracles of God, verse 2. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than the Gentiles? No, in no wise. For we have proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that we or they are all under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none, one righteous, not one. Verse 19, now we know that what, what things soever the law saith, it said to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, that all the world may be guilty before God. Verse 20, therefore the deeds of the law shall there be no flesh be justified in the sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All deserve the wrath and the justice of God. All deserve divine annihilation. That's the point of Romans chapters 1 through 3. Amen? Good news, yeah? Now, for good news really to be appreciated, we need to know the condition that we are in for it to be good. For if we don't know how bad the circumstances, we do not appreciate the good news. So starting from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 8 and 9, we see the gospel revealed in, in, in Romans. Now going back to chapter 85 of, of, uh, of Psalms, we see that this is the greatest simultaneous implosion and explosion in the universe. Verse 8, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, and let them not turn again to folly. Verse 9, Surely his salvation is nigh, nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Verse 10. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have, have what? Have kissed each other. Truth shall, bring, shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Verse 13. Righteousness shall go before him. And shall set us in the way of his steps. Here you see the great controversy being uh, painted here. In the great controversy, you have the entity of God, and then you have Lucifer. Some of you are very familiar with the story, who stands up, and in Lucifer's PhD thesis dissertation, he comes up with this idea, this novel idea for the first time in the universe. He thinks of something, quote, creative, which is not really creative, it's evil. But he pits God's love against his justice. Two eternal pillars of, of the character of God, two things which, which people have thought would be completely simultaneous, completely uh, inseparable. Satan comes up a way to bifurcate these two elements and pits them against each other. I mean, this, this idea was so novel that one-third of the angels, one-third of these pristine cerebral beings fell for this Ph.D. dissertation. 
We see it today. Love versus truth. Judgment versus pardon. Law versus grace. How does God simultaneously express the holiness of judgment with the love of pardon? How does he do it? And for about almost 4,000 years in human history, the angels were wondering, how? The universe was always on their, on their tippy toes looking at uh, the earth channel on their TVs, streaming live. Like how? How was this possible? And it was at the cross. It was at the cross where all angels, fallen or unfallen, were completely convinced that the PH dissertation was incorrect. Where the angels, two-thirds that were upstairs, like, man, we made the right choice. And the one-third at the cross said, man, we made the wrong choice. Justice is something we typically want for other people. Yes or no? Mercy is something we want for ourselves. Yes or no? If you're laughing, it's, you know it's true. Sometimes we ask the question, man, why can't God just forgive? I mean, like he tells us to forgive, and do you know what this person did to me? And God just says, oh, just forgive him seven times, seven, 77, and you, just, you make it go away. I mean, why can't God just do what he tells me to do for others? Well, you're not God. Yes? That is a selfish perspective to have. A violation against the law-giving law of God, life-giving law of God, results in automatic death. Meaning someone who is the epitome of life, someone who gives life, if you disconnect from them, what happens to you? You die. Manuscript, page 50, 1900, Ellen White. She says, Justice demands that sin not be merely pardoned, but that the death penalty must be executed. We see this in, in different areas of life. For those of you, how many of you are married? Please raise your hands. Raise your hands, married people. God bless you. God bless you. We need more mercy than single people. Amen? In marriage, we see this. Standards versus forgiveness. For those of you who are married, and for those of you who are single, don't judge us. Don't you dare judge us. Because the minute you judge us, the same thing's going to happen right. We hope the same thing happens exactly to you. But in marriage, you're living with another person. I mean, marriage is the most unhappy state of living in human existence. I mean, this whole romantic comedy uh, culture, like you meet this person, you're happy for the rest of your life. There's a reason why the movie ends when they're married at the, mar at the wedding altar. There's a reason why the, mo because the, mo the movie doesn't continue because there's no good news after that. Marriage does not lead to happiness. Holiness leads to happiness. And the purpose of marriage is to develop holiness. Amen, single people? Amen, amen married people? <laughs> See, like the single people, like, amen, married people, amen, amen. <laughs> selfish beings have to live with another selfish being. Two black holes living together in the same household. 
Do you expect one to survive? No. It's the destruction of the universe. In marriage, you have a selfish being, and we impose standards upon you. need to do this. You need to take out the garbage. You need to, you know, pick up your son after school. And if you don't, you can enact judgment on the... There you go again. There you go again. See, 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 see. And so marriage is an exercise of mercy and forgiveness eternally. Children, another example. How many of you have children? Raise your hands. Lord, have mercy upon you. Mercy. Single people, don't judge us. Childless people, don't judge us. But children exist not for your happiness. They exist for your sanctification. They are the most selfish beings in the universe, just like you. And here they have they, they, you. You want you need to lay down the law and say rules. You need to, but but, but they will break them. And so we need to enact justice and judgment. But how do you do justice and love at the same time? So if we don't learn that in our marriages, we learn that through our children. Some of you are saying, well, I don't have marriage. I don't have a wedding person. I don't have kids. I am single. You're the most selfish person in the universe. (laughs) You're all living by yourself. Well, you have something called the government. And so with the government, how do you enact justice and mercy at the same time? You, you go speeding down the lane, and, and, and you don't have police here in Canada. You have the, you know, the, 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 the royal mounted police on horses. Is that what it is? Oh. Whoever, I forgot, what, the, what, is the, what is the acronym? Yes, RCMPD, whatever you said. So they're there, and they've caught you. And what is... What is People who are caught, he's like, yes, officer. Do you call them officer? Yes, officer. Yes, please give me full justice. I deserve full justice. Give me the full law. You don't say that. You look, at, you look into their eyes with mercy. And, and you go into theatrical mode, yes? And some of you who are of the female gender, you know how to do this artfully. Open your eyes really big. A little bit of water on the bottom. This is my first time. I've, I, I was, you know, driving to the hospital because my grandmother and my mother and my whole family's dying. This is the last chance. I mean, please, I ask for mercy. Yes or no? I'm using speeding as an illustration because I hope that's the only violation you've committed against the government. Example number four is church discipline. We don't see this too common in our churches in North America, but the churches have authority vested in them, local churches, to discipline their members. That if you have someone who is a Seventh-day Adventist, self-declared and acknowledged by the church body to be a witness of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination, and they're out in public, and they're drinking, and they're smoking, and they're carousing in public, and church members see them in public and they acknowledge this in public, the local church has a responsibility to disfellowship that member. That disfellowship is not a sign of salvation. Can someone say amen? 
but it is a means to win that person to salvation. Too often when we disfellowship with someone, we don't talk to them ever. But it is a time that we should visit them, love them, pray for them more than any other point in their lives. To use discipline redemptively. So we see this in marriage. We see this in children. We see this in government. We see this even within the church. How do we balance law and mercy together? Too often we say, I don't want to think about this. All I want to say is, law for you, grace for me. That's all I want. And that is a selfish uh, opinion to have. Studies have shown, and this is something for you to think about, that those of you who have had more aggressive fathers, more masculinity in your family, you naturally lean towards grace and forgiveness. You naturally lean to more liberal expressions of spirituality. For those of you who have had dominant mothers or more matriarchal uh, backgrounds, you naturally gravitate toward more conservative expressions of spirituality. And you look for law and structure and discipline. It's very interesting that studies have shown that those who are within conservative marriages have higher rates of divorce. When the studies came out, the conservative denominations were all kind of ashamed. But they have higher rates. Why? Because they impose upon standards, standards, standards. You failed again. You failed again. You failed again. And humanity can only handle so much within such an immediate context. If you're going to err on one side or the other, I would ask that you side with grace than with law. We see this in our parents, we see it with our children, we see this in church, we see this in, in state, and we see this in government, and we desire justice, we desire mercy. Verse 10, we see mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I love that, I'm going to talk about it a little bit in, in, in a couple of minutes. But verse 9 is the focus. We see that at the end of verse 9, that glory may dwell in our land. Interesting. What? That's a weird phrase. It kind of doesn't fit the song. Well, this glory we see in the book of John is the Shekinah glory. Yes? The essence of God is now not only in heaven, but is now dwelling with us in the land. It's a, a prediction of who? Of Jesus coming to this earth. Verse 10 where now truth and mercy, this, this PhD of Satan will be discredited. Verse 11, truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Listen to this quote by John Stott. It is the judge himself who in holy love assumed the role of innocent victim. For in and through the person of his son, he himself bore the penalty that he himself inflicted. As Dale put it, the mysterious unity of the Father and the Son rendered it, rendered it possible for God at once to endure and to inflict penal suffering. There is neither harsh injustice nor unprincipled love nor Christological heresy in that. There is only unfathomable mercy. For in order uh, to us, for in order to save us in such a way to satisfy himself, God, through Christ, substituted himself for us. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. 
the cross was an act simultaneous of punishment and amnesty, severity and grace, justice and mercy. Can someone say amen? Amen. Something had to die, Jesus died. Someone should get mercy, we get that mercy. Simultaneously. At the cross, we found both mercy and justice. We see the greatest simultaneous implosion and explosion of the universe. Justice, because Jesus paid the debt of human sin. Mercy, because the payment makes our slates clean. Mercy, because we are released from the weight of shame. Justice, because we are released from the weight of our own social outrage. Question. How many of you ever experienced injustice in your lives? When you look at the news, injustice. Stuff that's happened in your own family, injustice. Brothers and sisters, you need the cross. When we look to the cross, we see true justice at the cross. When we demand blood, God says, I'll give you my son instead. When we say, that's not fair. I want this person who's wronged me to be eliminated from the earth. God says, okay, I'll eliminate my son instead. No matter the headline, no matter the circumstance, justice is ultimately found in the righteousness of God. If you understand this, please say amen. Mercy. When you've committed a sin, there will still be earthly consequences, but do not think as if God did not use such events to even discipline his own children. When we sin, three things happen. Number one, you get guilt. Guilt is between you and yourself. Your internal conscience is broken. And you feel this overwhelming burden and you, and you cannot function because of guilt. Number two, you experience shame. You realize, man, what if everyone, is, everyone sees me this way and in a, in a cosmological way, all the universe has seen me in my sin. Oh man, how can I ever recover from this social impact? And number three, you experience fear before God. How, how can I be before God? I don't want the judgment to occur. I don't want to talk about spiritual things. And many people, because of either one or all three things, do not want to come into contact with the church or maybe GYC or you, and they just want to do their own thing to drown out their lives of these three things. But when we experience mercy, number one, our consciences are cleansed and repaired. Number two, our relationship before God, perfect love casts out the fear before God. And number three, our shame before heaven is lifted, and we as Christians should extend the release of shame to our fellow brothers and sisters, knowing that their sins have been paid the same just as ours. Does that make sense? Some of you didn't get it. It just When you experience the release of shame, you want others to experience that release of shame as well. So you don't add to their burdens. You pray for the mercy of the cross to pee upon their souls. Dr. Budzichevsky says this, 
The reconciliation of justice with mercy lies in the cross. God does not balance mercy and justice. He accomplishes both to the full. Can someone say that? Amen? Yeah? It's not mercy and justice find the balance of the two. Not 50-50. But 100% justice. 100% mercy. Only accomplished at the cross. This is from the GC Bulletin, fourth quarter, 1899, volume three, page 102 by Ellen White. Justice and mercy stood apart in opposition to each other, separated by a wide gulf. The Lord, our Redeemer, clothed his humanity with divinity and wrought out in behalf of man a character that was without spot or blemish. He planted his cross midway between heaven and earth and made it the object of attraction which reached both ways, drawing both justice and mercy across the gulf. Justice moved from his exalted throne and with all the armies of heaven approached the cross. There it saw one equal with God bearing the penalty of all injustice and sin. And with perfect satisfaction, justice bowed in reverence at the cross, saying, it is enough. Manuscript, page 128, 1897. Christ's death proved God's administration and justice to be without a flaw. Satan's charge in regard to the conflicting attributes of justice and mercy was forever settled beyond question. Every voice in heaven and out of heaven will one day testify to the justice, mercy, and exalted attributes of God. It was in order that the heavenly universe might see the conditions of the covenant of redemption that Christ bore the penalty in behalf of the human race. We read this before, but I'll, I'll continue the next sentence afterwards. Justice demands that sin be not merely pardoned, but the death penalty must be executed. Continuing on, God, in the gift of His only begotten Son, met both these requirements. By dying on man's behalf, Christ exhausted the penalty and provided a pardon. Youth's instructor, June 21, 1900. I love this. God bowed his head satisfied. Now justice and mercy could blend. Could what? Blend. That which was bifurcated 6,000 years ago, of 4,000 years ago at the cross, now came together. It's as if all the issues of the great controversy were resolved at the cross. The issues were resolved. Now they had to play themselves out in human history and in the ministration of the heavenly sanctuary by Jesus. Listen to this one. Two more quotes. How many more? Are you okay? Okay. Listen carefully, okay? And now some of you are like, uh, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. This is a digital society. Don't be so digital, amen? This is, this is digital too. Okay, so the, uh, this is Signs of the Times, June 5, 1893. The only begotten Son of Man took upon him the nature of man and established his cross between heaven and earth. Through the cross, listen carefully, through the cross, man was drawn to God. And through the cross, God to man. Justice moved from its high and awful position and the heavenly host and the armies of holiness drew near to the cross, bowing in reverence. For at the cross, justice was satisfied. 
Through the cross, the sinner is also drawn from the stronghold of sin and from the confederacy of evil. And at every approach to the cross, his heart relents and in penitence he cries, it was my sins that crucified the Son of God. At the cross, he leaves his sins. And through the grace of Christ, his character is transformed. The Redeemer raises the sinner from the dust and places him under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is where uh, justification and sanctification meet. Meaning you come to the cross, you're cleansed, boom, you're justified. And now you're under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now you're, boom, sanctified. You're under the power of the Holy Spirit. Should you fall again, you experience justification and sanctification again. They are two in one at the same point at every moment of your life. Manuscript page 56, this is the last one. The cross of Calvary challenges and will finally vanquish every earthly power and every hellish power. In the cross, all influence centers, and from it, all influence goes forth. It is the great center of attention, for on it, Christ gave up uh, his life for the human race. The sacrifice was offered for the purpose of restoring man to his original perfection, and yes, even more. Oh, you didn't get it. You you did it. You, You didn't get that. You didn't get, you're like, what time is it? Where, where, I got to go eat. You already ate. Where you got to go? Listen to this one more time. Amen? Amen? The cross is the great center of attraction, for on it Christ gave up his life for the human race. The sacrifice was offered for the purpose of restoring man to his original perfection, and yes, more. We do not believe in, in static perfection. Some of you are like, what, what is that? I'd have static on my clothes. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? You wake up, 5 o'clock in the morning, 200 points. You drink your green smoothie, 200 points. You read your Bible, and you memorize you know, all of the spirit of prophecy, 5,000 points. You give out glow tracks until 5 o'clock in the evening, 1,000 points. You come home, and then you get really impatient. Minus two points. Do, 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 do. And you go to bed at, you know, 830. 9,000 points. <laughs> Today, your score is five million points in the positive. You are sanctified. Congratulations. You go to bed for eight hours. Next morning, you wake up. You wake up at 11 o'clock in the morning. Negative 5,000. <laughs> you drink a Coca-Cola can. Minus million points. <laughs> You kick your dog, you know, you curse out people, you take back the glow tracks you gave out yesterday, you're like, mine is million, you do, 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 you need some meat, you need some pork, shrimp, you go to bed at like, you know, five in the morning, today's points are not enough numbers to show how sinful you are, today you are condemned, is that how you're living your life? You know, many Adventists do live that kind of life. They believe in static perfect. I need to get a thousand points today. Or Jesus says, your thousand points is so below the numerical scale of things that if you read the book Education, that God promised that our destiny is dynamic perfection. That we are to reach ever more and more and more and then some more. And as more time goes on, we are to ever get more like Christ. 
how will we ever be satisfied with 1,000 points? Ridiculous. The cross makes this possible. It was offered to give an entire transformation of character, making him more than a conqueror. You make this, are you getting this? More than a conqueror. Today, we just want man, I just need to overcome my chocolate addiction, man. I just, Jesus, give me strength over chocolate. Jesus says, yeah, I'll give you victory over chocolate and then eternal conquest of everything out there. Well, I don't want eternal conquest. I just need victory over my, my chocolate, Lord. It's so myopic of a salvific perspective. If the cross does not find influence in its favor, it creates an influence. Through generations succeeding generation, the truth for this time is revealed as present truth. Now listen very carefully, and then this is the end of the quotes. Christ on the cross was the medium whereby mercy and truth met together. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. This is the means that is which, uh, which is to move the world. They're not social media. Not through, through, through dietary reform, not through the publishing of the spirit of prophecy, not through the preaching of the gospel. It is through the cross of which all these other previous things subject themselves to that moves the world. Amen? It's interesting that this word kiss is used. The, kiss, the word kiss in Hebrew is nashak, and it means to draw close. To draw near, to touch. And it's very ironic that Judas used a kiss to betray the Savior. It's very interesting that the Bible uses the word kiss as a verb to save the world. Very interesting. Simultaneous implosion and explosion. This morning, maybe you have thought, and, 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 and to be honest, friends, I have thought this many times. I have been wronged by so many people in this world. If I were to tell you all my testimony of how many people that have wronged me, I mean, it would take forever. Maybe you're filled with injustice, human wrath, anger from whatever injustice from your life, your own household, your own country, your own people, your own gender, your own wonder, whatever, whatever, whatever. And maybe you need divine justice. Maybe your prayer is that Christ's blood will bring true judgment and justice to your life. Just as much as I have thought I've been wronged by so many people, I confess, you know what? I've also wronged many people. Like I, I, I really, I'm not going to tell you all that because it's being recorded right now. But I've wronged a lot of people. And before you judge me, so have you. And maybe, you're in, in, maybe we are in need of mercy in our lives. Maybe we need the shame removed away, the guilt removed away, the fear removed away. And maybe you need these wrongs made into right. Maybe we need divine mercy. Christ's blood will bring not only true justice, but also true mercy. How many of you this morning say, maybe, Lord, I need one, or more yet, I need both? Father in heaven, Father, we ask for the uh, 
the fruits of the cross, the results of the cross, the merits of the cross to be attributed upon every soul in this room. And Lord, we need true justice, true mercy in our lives. We are broken vessels. So Lord, at this time I ask my brothers and sisters in this early morning, that if there are those who are in need of true justice, true divine justice, making things right in their lives, in their families, in their marriages, in their children, in this world, I ask that, that they raise their right hand at this time. And Lord, I ask that you have mercy and, 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 and justice upon their lives. I also ask this congregation that do you have need of mercy in your life? That you need the tender kindness of God to touch your heart. And not just between you and God, but between you and maybe another individual, that you may be an extension of the cross. And you need strength. And if this is you, I'm going to ask that you raise your left hand. Father, I ask that you have justice upon these individuals and mercy. And my last question for this congregation is, Lord, we thank you for the cross. That, that, that prayer is so cliche, but that is our, our mere and only human response. We don't know what to say otherwise. But Lord, it is to be the great center of attraction and attention in our lives. And perhaps, Lord, it has not been so much. Lord, we, many of us in this room, are Adventists, and we love your law as we should. It is the foundation of your throne. But Father, help us to see ever more of these great controversy issues, these things that we will be talking about for eternity, the means by which you transform humanity, all made possible at the cross. And perhaps in this congregation, maybe you have thought, Man, I just really need to recenter my life upon the cross. Maybe I've been a Christian that's fallen away, or maybe I've been such a good Christian, in a sense, that I've forgotten the cross, if that's even possible. And Lord, I just, we need the recalibration. If that's your prayer, I'm going to ask that you raise both of your hands towards heaven at this time. Father, we ask that you have pity upon your children, that you are a father with tender, loving kindness, and that you have mercy and justice upon all of us. Lord, may the, the seal of the Spirit, may the cross, the mark of the cross, be upon each of our minds and upon our hearts. And we ask, as you bless us throughout this day, this entire conference, that may we be connected to your cross, to draw us closer to your Son. We pray. In Jesus' name, and let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.